You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio, awaiting Governor Chris Christie to call in. And we've got a lot of questions as we continue to cover the developments of this week into right next week. Let's get right to it. Uh, Chris Christie is on the line. And, and Governor, I got to ask you, how are you feeling? I know that you've... Uh, uh, been recovering from COVID-19. I, I heard your PSA with the COVID collaborative uh, urging folks to wear a mask. Uh, how you been? I'm much better. Thank you, Kevin. I'm, I'm back to 100 uh, percent. It took me a while, a little while to get there, a few, three, three weeks or so after I got out of the hospital to really feel back to 100 percent. But I am feeling back to 100 percent now. I feel very fortunate. And, you know, I got to be candid here just to, to ask you a follow up on this. I was telling my dad when he turned 70 on his birthday, uh, I grew up in Delco near near Jersey, Governor, on the other side of the yeah. Commodore Barry. Right. And uh, yes, I sir. said, Dad, you got to wear a mask. You know, it's not it's not political. And, and he said, all right, Kev. All right. I'll wear the mask. But just from your own experience, enough of the Cirilli soapbox. How important is it for people, especially at the refineries and whatnot, to make sure they're wearing their masks? Well, listen, here's the here's the proof. Talk to my dad, Governor. All right. What's your dad's name? Nick Cirilli. Nick, here's the deal, okay? For seven months, I wore the mask whenever I went out. um, Every place I was in the supermarket or out shopping someplace else or go to see, you know, my kids, I always wore the mask. And for seven months, I stayed healthy. For four days, I took the mask off in a place where everybody who walked in the place was getting tested, the White House. And still, those are the four days where I caught it. Seven months of good work thrown away by four days of carelessness. And at the end of it, that's the proof. Seven months I stayed healthy, four days I kept the mask off, and I got sick and got into the hospital, into the intensive care unit. And so, you know, there's just no question in my mind Does wearing the mask absolutely 100% prevent you? No, but you are twice as likely to get COVID without a mask than you are with one on. To me, the odds are in favor of wearing the mask, Nick. So put it on and don't drive your poor son crazy. I appreciate that, Governor. All right, let's talk about the events that have been happening here in Washington, D.C. this week, uh, there's been a lot of talk uh, uh, through members of Congress, both parties, about whether or not the president should resign, whether or not the cabinet should invoke the 25th Amendment, whether or not uh, there should be impeachment proceedings. What's the best course of action, Governor? 
so first off, I think that the president's conduct, quite frankly, in the last eight weeks since the election has been beneath the office he holds and much less than we should ever have to expect from a president. And this is coming from a guy who's been his friend for 20 years. Uh, and I'm not just saying this on the radio. I've said it to him directly. So let's start with that, that the president has conducted himself horribly in these last eight weeks. There are less than 12 days left now of his presidency. They're not going to be able to impeach and remove him in time, get all that process done. And the exercise of the 25th Amendment will not get done, because even if the vice president and half the cabinet sign to remove him, he still has a right to appeal that to Congress. That won't get done in the next 11 days. What I think, what I've said a number of times publicly already, is every member of the cabinet who remains and the commissioned members of the senior staff all take an oath of office to protect and defend the Constitution. Their job over the next 11 days is if they see anything that they believe violates the Constitution, as what the president incited this week did, that they need to sound the alarm. And if they do, the country will take the right steps. But I think the rest of this, Kevin, is all just, you know, kind of professorial type of discussion. Because the fact is, with this few, these few days left, it's not going to get done anyway. Do you think, sir, that there should be consequences for President Trump, Rudy Giuliani, uh, and others uh, for uh, inciting this attack on the Capitol? What should that be if it isn't what we just discussed? Well, for the president, I think there have already been consequences. He has been publicly shamed by members of both parties. He has been... um, watched as uh, senior officials in the White House and cabinet members have resigned because of his conduct. And he's had allies like mine, like me, rather, on the outside, you know, saying that his conduct is unacceptable. Um, Now, whether or not there are criminal or civil consequences for this, I have to tell you, I don't think we all know enough yet to know the answer to that question. But I am confident that appropriate authorities will be looking at that to make a, a, a determination. But in the end, the worst thing you can do to a public figure is to diminish their public standing. And his public standing, no question, has been diminished by his conduct of the last eight weeks and by, particularly, his conduct on the morning of January 6th, the conduct by his son. I don't know who he thinks he is. I mean, to be saying we're going to go after people. I mean, Don Jr.'s big accomplishment is to be Don Jr., the son of Donald Trump. I don't think that entitles him to be going around and telling people they're going to be going after people. And so, you know, we'll see what happens. But I I, I don't think that we should be thinking that there's been no cost so far because the diminishment in the president's standing across this country, I think, has been significant. Gov, uh, I was actually in Texas uh, covering uh, when you announced uh, that you were endorsing 
uh, then candidate Donald Trump. I was embedded with the Trump campaign in Fort Worth. And uh, you, along with millions of Americans, wanted to take a political gamble uh, and, and shake up Washington and, and, and try to uh, create some changes for the middle class in this country. As you try to put in perspective the events that have unfolded this week, is there room in the Republican Party for Trumpism moving forward? Well, let's make a distinction between the messenger and the message. You know, the message of lower taxes, less regulation, standing up to China, uh, conservative judges on the courts. Kevin, those are very popular issues in this country, and I think have a majority of support um, in this country. What did not have a majority of support, and the reason I believe the president lost re-election, was because of his personal behavior. His behavior as president of the United States most exemplified by the last eight weeks, um, you know, is, is what the folks across this country who voted for Donald Trump in large numbers four years ago but did not vote for him this time and supported President-elect Biden, that's what they were objecting to. And, and that's a very personal kind of loss for the president to have to sustain. But I do believe there's many things that he did, you know, the... the, the um, uh, the Accords, the Abraham Accords in the Middle East, um, you know, the, the drawing down of our troops around the world. All those things are things that are going to be part of his policy legacy. But unfortunately, because of his behavior, that behavior has obscured, to some extent, the policy legacy. But it's our job as Republicans to say, here are the good things that have happened and the good things we want to continue down the road. Um, in the same philosophy to advocate uh, to try to improve the lot of the folks in this country, most particularly uh, those folks who need our help the most, uh, which is the middle class taxpayer. Well, Gov, I want to bring it right back to the middle class, because earlier today, President-elect Joe Biden delivered remarks about uh, the type of economic uh, relief package that he'd like to see happen in his first 100 days. And, and you know, I'm thinking about people who have just finished this work week and are, and are thinking, what what when is the relief coming? You know whether it's structural changes to the economy, whether it's lowering taxes, or whatever the solution. And you know, uh, good faith policymakers in both parties can have that conversation. But I I, I want to play for you this, uh, sir, because we've got sound on it, and then get your reaction. Here's the president-elect speaking. The job report shows we need to provide more immediate relief for working families and businesses now. Now not just to help them get on the other side of this painful crisis, but a larger purpose, to avoid a broader economic cost that exists out there that will happen due to long-term unemployment, hunger, homelessness, and business failings. Uh, Governor Christie, we've got, you know, a $27 trillion debt. I talked to a lot of folks in your party who are concerned about that. They're trying to weigh what the most fiscally responsible path forward is for the country. What do you think? Well, listen, I think that, you know, unfortunately, not just since the pandemic, but over the course of the last four years, we haven't paid much attention to the deficit and, and the result. And I think that's been one of the failings of the Trump administration, that he hasn't, that he did not pay attention to that, did not use some of his political capital to try to bring some of that spending under control. I understand during the pandemic why we would be doing that. It's an absolute national emergency. Um, but I think we have to look at things a little bit differently now as we move forward. 
So I look at this in two different ways. I think the next six months, we have to look at ways to continue to try to effectively keep businesses open, keep people employed, and help to support people who still cannot get their lives back to normal because of the restrictions that are being placed on us because of the pandemic by government, and then just the common sense things that we can't do. But after the next six months, I think we have to have a hard conversation with the American people about what we need to do from here, because that kind of continuing escalating debt is unsustainable. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. All right, I want to bring in the squad here to, to ask some questions. Or not, and, uh, nowadays the word squad has political annotations, so I shouldn't say that. The yeah. team is probably the better the better word to use, and that's our Bloomberg political uh, contributors. Rick Davis is the former campaign manager of John McCain's 2008 presidential campaign. He's a partner at Stonecourt Capital. And, of course, Jeannie Zeno. She is a professor of political science at Iona College. Uh, and, and, Rick, I mean, you've been listening to, the, to my uh, conversations with the Gov, as I call him, uh, Governor Hogan, as well as now Governor Christie. And, and I know uh, that you've been reflecting we both online, offline with me this week about the direction of political discourse in this country. But, you know, your reaction and your question to Governor Christie. Yeah, no, I think uh, Governor Hogan hit on it. And so did you, Governor Christie. It's good to talk to you. And I'm glad you're feeling well. I we were Thank praying you, for you when you uh, got COVID. Uh, it's a horrible position to be in. But you're a fighter. We had no doubt where you'd wind up on the end of that. Um, I'm really kind of curious what your thoughts are about the party. You know, the GOP has had a bad run under Donald Trump. You know, of course, he won the 16 race or the 16 race. But the midterms, we lost a higher end record number of seats in the House, lost control of the Senate this time around the presidency. By any stretch of the imagination, it's been a bad run. And yet the day after uh, the incursions into the Capitol, while Republicans like yourself uh, are decrying Trump's uh, messaging and, and, and invoking uh, the crowd to uh, uh, take it into their own hands. Uh, he got on the phone with the uh, committee, the Republican Party committee, uh, meeting for their winter meeting, and, and, and was applauded and cheered. And he got a standing ovation, uh, from what I understand. Uh, and, and, and this is a party that suffered pretty badly, these losses, uh, under Donald Trump's leadership of the party. And um, and then the next day, uh, they reelected the chairman that he put in charge of the party, Ronna McDaniel, for another two-year stint as party chairman. Um, where do you see us going as a party at this stage? I mean, it, he obviously Donald Trump still dominates the hearts and minds of the leadership of the party, the state chairman and the national committee people. And um, and 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 the question is, where do we go from here as a party? Uh, you know, the country. Uh, is a much more important issue. But at the end, uh, we have to field a, a, a group of candidates and we need an ideology that you described that needs to be reinvigorated. Uh, what do you think, who are the leaders who are going to come to the table now who aren't aren't damaged by the brand uh, Donald Trump? Well, Rick, as you know from your long association with the party and your, your senior level 
uh, positions with Senator McCain. Uh, the RNC, especially when you have a president, is controlled by the president. Um, the RNC chairman selected by the president, and many, many of the folks who become national committee folks are are selected by the president. Um, you know, with influence that he uses, that he has in the individual states in that selection process. So I've never looked to the RNC membership as the real leaders of our party. Um, what I look to are those people who have the best ideas, the most energy, and the greatest ability to be able to articulate those ideas and bring life to those ideas. And I do think when you look at this election, the Republicans did okay. You know, we added 14 seats in the House. We flipped two state legislative chambers. We flipped the governorship in Montana. And I think absent the president's conduct in the last eight weeks, we would have maintained our majority in the Senate. Um, and so I don't think we have a, an, an issue problem. I think we had a personality and behavior problem. And I think that the people in the suburbs didn't abandon us um, as they did in, in, in many states, like Georgia, like Arizona in particular, um, because of our ideas. It's because they rejected the president's behavior and his personal conduct office. And so I think that that's going to give us an opportunity to go back and re, you know, reinvigorate our ideas in responding. And, you know, it's always easier to respond in some ways, right? So we'll be responding to what Joe Biden and Kamala Harris do. And I'm sure we're going to have a lot to say about it and to be able to contrast our message um, with the ideas that we're putting forward. But in the end, you know, candidates matter. You know, everybody counted out John McCain in 2008. He went up there and worked like crazy in New Hampshire. They knew him. They loved him. And he won, not because he had the most money, because, as you know, he didn't anymore. Not because he had the biggest organization, because he didn't anymore. But because he was the best candidate. And I think that in the end, our leadership will come from those people who want to put themselves forward and are willing to take the risk that goes along with putting your name on the ballot. Um, and putting your ideas out there. And I still think our ideas are the better ideas. I still think we're a right-of-center country. And I think whatever the Biden administration and the Democratic Congress wind up doing over the next two years, I think that's going to put that in even a greater light um, over these next two years. And if we conduct ourselves appropriately, I think we'll be in good shape in 2022 to regain the House and the Senate a little dicier because of the map, but certainly regain the House. Well, you are uh, right Governor, about one thing in particular, Governor. The best thing the Republican Party ever had going for it was the Democratic Party. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> and, and guess what? I'm sure Democrats are sitting there right now saying the same thing about the Republican Party. Yep, they just the benefited from that. Week, right. Right? So after the events this week, it happens. And sometimes, you know, sometimes politics isn't about being ingenious. Sometimes it's just about not shooting yourself in the foot. You know, I, I, I often tell people that in 2009, when I beat the incumbent governor, John Corzine, here, I didn't win. He lost. And I just happened to be the reasonable alternative who was on the ballot. But they weren't voting for me. They were voting against him. And, and sometimes that's the way it happens in politics. And I think that's clearly what happened in Georgia. I, 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 you will not convince me that a lot of the people who voted for John Ossoff and for Raphael Warnick, certainly not the people who made the difference in a five-figure race, 
um, in terms of the, the difference between the winner and the loser, um, are people who believe in their philosophy. They were voting against the president and voting against those people who they feel as if supported the president blindly. Um, and, and I think that's what cost us the election in Georgia was, you know, the president's behavior mm. uh, and, the, and, the eight, and the, you know, the eight weeks after the election where he said everything he could to depress turnout in Georgia. And you saw, Rick, you know the numbers, you know these states. We lost that race in Georgia because rural turnout wasn't where it was supposed to be. And I believe those are people who just didn't vote because the president was telling them the system's rigged, the governor's a crook, the secretary of state's a crook, they're all bad, and your votes don't matter. Well, you know, you tell a lot of people that, they're just not going to bother showing up. And I think, you know, David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler are out of the Senate um, for that reason. It's a fascinating, fascinating uh, diagnostic coming from Chris Christie that we're listening to. Just to reset quickly, I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio, joined, of course, by our indefatigable team, Rick Davis and Jeannie Zeno. Jeannie, you've been listening in. Your question. Yeah. Hi, Governor Christie. And I just want to jump off where you just were, because I talk to young people all day long. And, you know, two things really stick out to me. Number one, in the last at least two election cycles with the presidential uh, candidates in particular, they have not been thrilled by their choices. These have not been quite popular choices. And the second thing is, many of them do think the system is, if not rigged, working against them. And these are people across the aisle, from Democrats to Republicans, conservatives to liberals. So I wonder, how do you change that view amongst not just young people like I talk to, but people all across the country who think the system is working against them? Well, it's really good. Two really good points, Jeannie. I think on the first one, I've often said about the way politics, national politics in America works, is that you don't get to vote for who you want to vote for. You get to vote for who's left. And certainly we know four years ago, those were the two most unpopular presidential candidates um, in the 20th, in, the, in, in any time in the 20th or 21st century um, to appear on the ballot, given their ratings the day of the election. Um, and this time, I could see why they weren't excited by either the president, if you're a young person, or by Joe Biden, given the huge generational differences. Um, you know, President-elect Biden is 78 years old and Donald Trump is 74 years old, and they're baby boomers. And these Gen Zers, like, can't barely see baby boomers <laughs> from where they sit. And so I can understand that. I got to interrupt. Hard. For any baby boomers listening, just, you know, I, I, I take it Governor Christie is speaking euphemistically. Go ahead, sir. Yes, euphemistically, Kevin. Um, and, <laughs> and so, so you know, I, I think that, you know, but, but, in, Jeannie, in this same period of time, I don't think that's the way young people felt when Barack Obama was on the ballot. I don't think that's the way young people felt. And I know there were a lot of young people who voted for John McCain as well uh, that were more conservative. Yep. I don't think that's the way people felt about George W. Bush and Al Gore. In fact, I think there was a lot of excitement about both of those candidates, and that's all been within the last 20 years. My point on this is, in the end, the biggest, you know, and it is not meant to, to denigrate Rick and the profession he's in. But the fact is, Was the, in candidate, <laughs> the candidates are the most important factor. There's strategy, which is important. There's money, which is important. But in the end, it's the candidates that are most important. And I think, GD, the way you fix it is to get better candidates. 
And I think we have the possibility of being able to do that now because we're going to see a generational change um, after Joe Biden's first term. I can't imagine he'll run for re-election. And you're going to see a generational change, which I think will give us the opportunity to have candidates that will be more appealing and speaking more directly to the concerns of the young people that you're talking to every day. Because in the end, that's what makes the difference. And I think it's long overdue for a generational change. Barack Obama gave us kind of a head fake on generational change. Um, and we wound up with Donald Trump and, and Joe Biden in the aftermath of that. But I really do think this will be the end for the baby boomers as uh, you know national candidates. And this next generation uh, will be looking to replace them. And I think we'll have much more to say to younger people that will be relevant and appeal to them. Rick, do you agree with that? And Go ahead and ask your follow-up. Oh, yeah. No, I think that uh, the governor is exactly right. I mean, this was always the point I made when I was managing campaigns is we got to stay out of the way of the candidate. Um, nothing you do as far as those mechanics uh, are anywhere near as important as the person themselves. And if the person has flaws, the campaign's going to have flaws. And and yep. his example of Do- John McCain going up to New Hampshire and fighting his way through uh, a horrible campaign and a horrible period of time for him um, showed exactly that, that uh, one man can accomplish great things in politics. And we can only hope that that, that this is something that, that future generations of, of operatives like I had can work for great candidates like you know, Chris Christie and John McCain and Ronald Reagan and folks who I got the pleasure of working for. So I think that uh, I think it's spot on. And, and, and look, uh, without the presidency, can Donald Trump continue to maintain his following? Uh, uh, we'll see. Uh, we already see uh, the MAGA universe starting to criticize Donald Trump for actually conceding uh, to uh, to to Joe Biden. And so uh, as time goes on, uh, uh, the only thing you know for sure in politics is the landscape's going to change. All right, I got to come in here because I got two minutes left. And Governor Chris Christie, I have always wanted to ask you this question. It has been a long week for everyone. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> growing up, growing up in Delco, I was yep. a, I am a devout Philadelphia Eagles fan. It's been a rough season. There's always next year. I know we're going to win the Super Bowl next year. I never, <laughs> sir, I never understood your affinity for the Dallas Cowboys. I, where does that even come from? I'll give you, i explain it very simply, two words, Roger Staubach. When okay. I was eight years old, Roger Staubach was quarterbacking the Dallas Cowboys in the Super Bowl, and I, it was my first Super Bowl that I remember watching, the Super Bowl VI um, against the uh, Miami Dolphins. And I watched Roger Staubach play and then watched him interviewed after the game, and I said, why would you ever want to root for anybody else? Captain America. <laughs> and I, and it really was all about Staubach. And as I'm sitting in my office here in Morristown, New Jersey, I am staring up at my most prized possession from my eight years as governor, which is a football, which is signed to Governor Chris Christie, you're the best, Roger Staubach. That's it it's for me, Kevin. That, That's there what it's it all is. about. And, and you, you know can't what? be Hillary Clinton. You can't change your teams because of <laughs> politics, right? So I stood for eight years in a state, as you know, that has nothing but Giants fans and Eagles fans. Yeah, they, they couldn't good the people. Cowboys more. Oh, I used to get booed all, right. all the time. But your team is your I team, know. Kevin. You got to leave it there. I needed that laugh, Gov. All right, coming up Monday. Wear a mask, Dad. Monday, I've got Dr. Deborah Burks. Have a great weekend, everybody. This is Bloomberg. 
The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.